Okay, everybody, what's up? We are back. Another episode of Kente Corner, episode 44, your favorite Georgetown basketball podcast. It's a Casual Hoya podcast, and you can find it at all those great places. Subscribe, give us a good rating. We're at Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio. So today, I've got two really good uh, Hoyas joining me. I've got Florida Hoya, and I've got New York Hoya. Florida Hoya, John Hawks, New York Hoya, Howie Wachtel. Guys, what's up? Going on, Bobby. Um, you know, it's weird. I would think that I'd be finding a way to get more of these podcasts out when there's nothing to do. Um, I've been really busy. Um, hopefully you guys have been, you know, safe and sound and everyone listening to this has been safe and sound. But um We've got these brackets going on, and I know that, you know, I helped out. Um, John had his own bracket, and Howie's the one that put up the one that is up on the Casual Hoya site. You can find new matchups in the Sadness and the Madness bracket every couple of days. Howie, how did this come about? Um, really just gave me something to do other than homeschooling and reading Beverly Cleary and making matzo pizza. This is a nice little diversion. Um, I don't know. This we, we we put together something similar five years ago uh, in 2015, um, just because it seemed like after every game, win or lose, you'd you'd either walk out and say, "Man, this is like the best night of my life. I can't believe we won that game," or more likely, especially in the last five years, you would say, um, "I can't can't really remember feeling the pain that exists in my body right now. This is brutal." Oh, it's so nice and to so, have emotion. <laughs> emotions are fun, especially during global pandemics. Uh, so the, the purpose of this exercise was really just to provide some perspective. At least that's what it was in 2015. And, and now it's uh, really to give us something to do, but also still to provide memories and perspective um, just to give a sense of like how these high highs and low lows kind of rank in the grand scheme of Georgetown um, wins and losses. John, you're uh yeah i mean i you know, I, I made my list i think this was one of the first days and i made my my underappreciated list and my deep cuts list i think it was one of the first days i was home after you know we had since been home from my work and it's been i think almost four weeks now um so i guess i got really bored really quickly um you can only get up and read books for so long you can only make so many different recipes in the kitchen and so naturally you know I, this is sort of the stuff I think about from time to time. I guess it's my curse in life to always be thinking about Georgetown games. Um, yeah, I'm totally run out of emotions at this point. Um, but it, it's actually been a really fun way in like small ways to reconnect with people over some of the stories from it. You know, my, my two lists, the underappreciated list and the deep cuts list were all games that we won. Um, yeah. So it was nice to connect with people over some, some happier memories, some happier times. Um, you know, we had a great talk about the Escher care. It turns out that, in retrospect, doesn't look so bad now. Wow. That's been my yeah. big, that's my big takeaway. So um, I was on the email when Andrew Casual, who's not here right now, um, said, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. And obviously, Howie had a really good list, I think, kind of already prepared, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong there. I'm a fast operator. Okay. So I did it from basically... 
this is just JT3 on. I went back to when I, I just, you know, I, I'm sure you saw my list. I just went back and I, it was it was pretty fun. I went back to from when I was first watching as a fan, which was Alonzo's freshman year, which they had made the Elite Eight. And at that point, that was sort of what they did. Um, the other night I was watching the 1980 Iowa game on YouTube. And when you go back to the decade of the 80s, they, you know, they advanced to the Elite Eight or beyond much more often than than they did not. And so going through that was kind of fun and just remembering like where I was as a kid. And then as I've grown up and now part of the media and just, it was, it was pretty fun. Now that being said, and I've been at so many of these sadness games, why in the world is there a sadness bracket? Why? (laughs) Bobby, I think the appropriate question is why is there not only a sadness bracket? No, man. I mean, I think if you're a Georgetown fan, a Georgetown follower, and, you know, the sadness is, you know, at this time of year, when, you know, even if, you know, the world had been working perfectly right now, this time of year, you always, you always hear, you know, the, you know, the Jordan shot, um, there's, you know, the Villanova upset, which probably isn't as big of an upset, but that's a different story. But as a Georgetown fan, you're always going to get that sadness, no matter what, and you know, when the NCAA or CBS rolls out all these classic games, there and Georgetown's got you know really good history. There's never any Hoya wins, right? It's all it's always sadness. So I thought this, and that's why I specifically did not take part in ranking the sadness because I, I've, I've been at all these games. <laughs> I don't need to relive that. I mean, I'll say I'll say a couple a couple of things on that. And first, there will come a time as as improbable as this may seem, but there will come a time eventually where, you know, we're halfway decent again. You know, maybe we, we don't finish ninth in the big East, but maybe we finish six, sixth yeah. <laughs> and, and the good times will, will come back. And, and right. I think having that extra pain in our hearts right now uh, will make it all the more worthwhile. when this team is finally good again, whether that's in one year or 50. Um, the, the other thing is, What's kind of surprising when you do these exercises is for the for the years that are really, really good, that's when you tend to find the the worst and most devastating losses out there because you have these crushing losses only when your expectations are super high. And the flip side of that coin is in some of our you know most painful years is when we've had some of the most memorable wins. And, and this year is this year is no different. The, that win at St. John's, the huge comeback, the, the win at Butler, the junkyard dog game. Those are really memorable wins that I don't think we're going to forget about anytime soon. So having that perspective is, is nice. You get, you, you remember some of the nice little wins and at the same time, you remember those crushing losses and want to, you know, do terrible things to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whether it's a, whether it's a good game or a bad game and really no matter how, long ago these were every game has some kind of small little story associated with it that you probably relate to on a personal level you'll take like one small thing you remember out of that game or there's something that you did with you know a friend or a loved one or something nothing to do with the game that you do tie back to that game and that's sort of for me what's fun about these is remembering you know not oh this specific game and this is what happened but who i was with or what were the circumstances around it you know something that howie said too it is very much some of these games that I think, especially are the underrated ones, are exactly the kind of games like there's a lot of games from 2005 
some of the wins we had that are really, really good because it felt like, and again, this is something maybe not to do with the game itself. It felt like that season was somehow going to be really important. Like every win could have been really significant in getting us back to the tournament. Whereas like, I don't know, how do you pick the sixth or seventh best win in 2007? Right. You know, where does that fall on a list like this? I was looking at the, uh, the games list from this right before we got on the phone call. And I was thinking, you know, the, one of the games I think is really underseated in the, the cynical bracket is the Villanova game that was just like, it's still only like three or four weeks ago this game happened. Um, the one at the end of the season at, at Capital One, the 13th seed of a game. If we had won that game, how high would that have ended up on the delusional bracket? Yeah, it's it's a fair point. And, and I think at the same time, the reason why it's not ranked any higher, you're talking about the, the Jagan game, Jagan Senior Day. Yeah, and that's exactly why I'm asking about it. Yeah, because I think the sad reality of that is, you know, that game was meaningful basically for one reason. We wanted Jagan Mosley to go out on a high note. And the fact that our, you know, sort of underachieving underman team all year made it that close and really should have won, and if not for this really controversial ending, would have won, you know, still the game was fairly meaningless. Um, so it's, you know, ultimately it was really sad how we lost and that Jagan couldn't get that final home win as a senior. But at the same time, it was one of those truly rare games where the outcome was pretty meaningless. There have only really been literally two or three games in, in the last 15 years of the program that wouldn't mean anything in terms of trying to make the postseason or improve our ranking. And that, and that was one of them. The, the other one was the, um, the last one I can remember was actually the also against Villanova where we got shellacked at home. Um, but already, you know, we're going to be out of the NIT and, uh, uh, that was the infamous kind of Tyler Crawford gyration master game that seemed to have, uh, turned the program in the opposite direction. <laughs> so, yeah. So two comments. So I was on it early and, you know, we just mentioned, the last time, well, the only time your brother was on the our you know our great bracketologist friend, um, you know, Georgetown hasn't won a, didn't win a game the rest of the time after he was on. So that being said, I was tweeting. I think after every game, I think maybe even during Big East play, I kept always saying like, look, here's how many games they have to win to make the tournament. Here's what they have to do to get to 500. Here's what they have to do to make the NIT. And we don't really know what that means anymore because you can be under 500, but no one's done it. Um, Butler went at 16 and 16 last year. So I think that the Villanova game did mean something because it's the NIT, but right now the NIT is a big deal for Georgetown. That's just where the program is. So you win, Jagan goes out on a win. It's their, it might be the biggest win under Ewing given the circumstances of having like no players. So if they win that game, they can afford, you know, then they go to New York and even if they lose to St. John's, which they did, but the tournament, ended and all that stuff they would have assured themselves you know a non-losing record right so they could have been a 16 and 16 team that made the nit like butler did the year before so i get what you what most people mean like it doesn't matter for the ncas but that game actually did kind of matter and it was to villanova and all that stuff so not as meaningless as maybe it you know looks at when when you just sort of glance at it yeah look i i I hear you i as someone who suffers through each and every game, no matter how <laughs> trivial it might seem, right. I, I take the point. No game is meaningless. I think in the grand scheme of things, though, you know, there are very few games that 
you know, whether or not we're going to make the NIT has, has really only happened a few times. Uh, and, and, you know, that dates back to the last 20 years. So in the grand scheme of things, it made, it, it mattered less, but I hear you. Right. It was Villanova, it was senior day. Uh, you know, I get it. And, and, and by the way, shout out to Brad Wachtel, the best bracketologist in the country, <laughs> who, as soon as his, you're right, as soon as he appeared on this podcast, Georgetown proceeded to lose seven in a row. But in his, in his defense, uh, even after that Butler win, uh, when you guys asked him, do you think it's likely Georgetown's going to get into the tournament? He's like, probably not. <laughs> yeah. And I felt bad because we could never have him back on because there was nothing really, you know, everyone kind of knew what was facing Georgetown. Everyone knew where Georgetown was. It wasn't like a, oh my gosh, like what's their bubble status this week, right? It was just like, you know, it it just it just it just didn't matter. Um, I think sticking with the under seated games is kind of a cool thing. Or um, Howie, you can talk about which games, particularly that we've seen revealed already, were like the hardest to seed for you. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'll I'll just. I can start with one that, that drew some criticism. It was the... Uh, no way. Um, criticism on the internet at Casual Hoya? <laughs> um, it, it was really just the uh, the game from uh, a year ago, the shellacking at DePaul, 101 to 69. Oh, my God. That was okay. a game... I, I mean, you know, that was... I mean, truly just a, an an awful, awful loss start to finish because we had a real chance to actually go to the tournament that year. The, the team would seem to be peaking at the right time. And then this just kind of came absolutely out of nowhere. I think it was like Max Struess who destroyed us. He had 30 points or so. We were down over 20 points at the half. Uh, DePaul was raining. I think they hit 14 threes against us. This game was brutal from really from start to finish. Um, on this, on this, in this little exercise, we ranked it as an 11 seed, whatever that even means. Um, but I think that's really just a testament to the fact that we've suffered through a lot of losses. But, I mean, that was that was certainly memorable. I mean, we, you can't – losing to – I think every, every loss we've had to DePaul in the last 15 years, I think, is represented in the sadness, uh, you know, the cynical bracket. Um, and this is the only this is the only time I can remember in the last fifteen years where we were absolutely pummeled the entire game. Yeah, that this seemed... is... go on. Yeah, a large part of the criticism is my fault. I think I'm the one who was like beating the drum for this game. But you know, what? every every bracket needs since an 11 seed. Every bracket needs a DCU, right? Um, no, I'm, I'm on this game. I think it's really understated. I was the one who was responsible for calling this game the Ass Wednesday game, um, which, by the <laughs> way, got me accused on Twitter of being anti-Catholic, which I thought was really fun. Um, yeah. my, my contribution to this game, um, I think at some point in the first half, we were down by as much as 38 in this game. In the year of our Lord, 2019, we were down 38 to DePaul in a game that mattered. Um, so it's, if you wonder why I drink bleach, um, yeah. So it's my contribution, at some point during this game, I think in the first half I tweeted, oh, my God, Pantelis is going to play, isn't he? And sure enough, he did. So if you're playing DePaul in a game that Pantelis plays in, that's, that's a sign. I mean, it's potentially a good sign because if you're up by 30, he might come into the game also. 
Now, see, I have a problem with Dave Leto's uh, substitution patterns, and I'm going to, that's really like, you should not be getting a contract extension on that alone. But yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, but I, it, I will, it won its I, matchup, right? Yeah, it did. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think it did. There, there was a little, you know, for for a number of these, we tried intentionally to put some interesting matchups there. There were actually some seeding principles for this absurd exercise, um, you know, because we're releasing four four games each day. We try to uh, not have more than one team represented in each foursome, um, you know, and we also try to mix up the years too. We try not to have two games from the same year or really two games from the same two or three years. We try to vary it a little bit. So is this like the version, is this like our version of the selection committee? Like you can't have, you know, Georgetown play Villanova in the first round of the actual NCAA tournament. We've got, you know, yes. And we have, you know, a little, a little bit of a pod system. (laughs) This is all very carefully orchestrated. What pod is in North Carolina? Because that pod is going to get screwed. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that we could, we could probably figure out how many <laughs> games make an appearance that took place in North Carolina. Right. They were all devastating. If you go down to Raleigh on Easter weekend, it's not a good time. Actually, an interesting question would be when was the when was the last time? Actually, I shouldn't say when was the last time Georgetown won a game in the state of North Carolina. We we won the game before we lost to Davidson, and that was in Raleigh. Where was um, the Charlotte game won, a couple years ago? Uh, the Charlotte game. Was in Charlotte, right? Yeah. We we also won at Davidson. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if there's been any the others. Oh, actually. Yeah. We, we we won at North Carolina in the, in the NIT. Yeah. Which, looking back, um, my big, like I said, I know I've said it many times and people are probably thinking I'm related to Eshrick at this point, but what all these exercises have done to me is realize, wow, it wasn't that bad of a time. It's it, kind of my it wasn't that bad of a time. This. What's that? I, I mean, yeah. that, I, I think that's just an accurate statement. Yeah, but... So, like I said, you know, I'm giving away my age. I was a kid, and I started liking them, late 80s. So, when Eshrick took charge, I was in college. Or, no, I'm, yeah, when Eshrick took charge, I was in college. And um, I'd just gotten to JMU, I think. And it was just like, oh, you know, at that point, Georgetown fans, it was just like, look, this is terrible. We have to, like, this is just falling apart. And looking back, it was like, eh, that, that's not really accurate. Like, but that is... And if I talk to other people, I've asked this, you know, offline to a lot of people recently. And I had one person, you know, one pretty knowledgeable fan said, didn't in Netflix last year, we only won four games. I said, well, in the Big East, they won four games, but like they weren't like, you know, four and 25 on the season. And I think a lot of people have that view and it's not accurate at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll... I think. Go ahead, Howie. No, no, no. Go ahead. You guys. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe one of the things the bracket does show actually to JT3's credit is one of JT3's trademarks is even in up until the last, actually really even up until the last year, um, even in the bad years, there were lots of good wins. Um, you know, sort of famously in the, the 2009 NIT year when everything fell apart, Georgetown beat Villanova and UConn who both made the Final Four at opposite ends of the Big East schedule. Right. Um, 
2014, they beat Michigan State, and I think Michigan State went to the Final Four that year. Um, in JT3's last year, they beat Oregon. Oregon made the Final Four that year. Um, that was not something that Asherick ever did. That really is the, the major difference there. I like that. You're kind of you're kind of talking me back. Okay. I mean, I, I think I, so. I, I I would agree with that. I mean, I I think there were two glaring deficiencies during the Asherick years. Um, one was exactly what you just said. So we would almost never beat teams we weren't supposed to beat. Uh, you know, we would constantly get shellacked every year by teams like UConn, for example. I think we beat Syracuse once in those four years um, or five years. And the other thing is that there there was really zero offensive flow, offensive efficiency, offense. Um, those teams were big and long and lanky, well-recruited, very good defense, lots of, you know, the same pressing style that characterized um, Big John's teams. And yet at the same time, we just, we couldn't shoot. We couldn't pass. We had very, very little offense. And so anytime we produced any semblance of an offense, it seemed like it was a miracle, um, which is why it was such a revelation in the JT three years to have like this sort of, um, you know, very yeah. careful, deliberate offense. It, it was, it really was a bit of, it was like a bit of a revelation um, really beginning with that, the win at Pittsburgh, the the home win against Notre Dame on the Roy Hibbert dunk, uh, it kind of set things in motion. Uh, and we played really good defense too. I think the, the the reason, part of the reason why the wheels started coming off the wagon, isn't can only be attributed to the rules changes, although that made a big difference when we weren't allowed to hand check and our foul rate went up, uh, and we had a number of injuries. But you know, I think. Uh, also, the biggest factor was we, we, we didn't know how to play defense anymore. Uh, JT3 was a pretty consistently solid defensive coach until those last few years. Uh, yeah. And when we stopped playing defense, we never started again, including in the last three years. We haven't been a good defensive team in the last five years. And that's, that, yeah. that sort of begs the question, would you rather have no defense or no offense? Yeah. Yeah, I think both of you guys have done a good job of looking back at that. Um, I, I guess with with Eshrick, and we can we don't have to do the Eshrick podcast, although it has become a favorite topic of mine. Um, when you look back at those rosters, and I've said this before on here, it almost seems like if Ewing could recruit those type of players, and given the way he seems to have a I think Patrick has a great ability to coach offense. Um, I just don't, he's just, they just, they can't play defense at all where, you know, you say Eshrick was the opposite, but I think that if you get the kind of athletes and kind of just like the guys that can play multiple positions, like Eshrick seemed to have, I think Ewing would have a lot more success. And I think just looking at, you know, just looking at a roster with like Harvey Thomas and um, you know, uh, Bethel and Hall, I think we're part of that class and just, I don't know. It just, it just seems like, it just seems like Eshrick was an extension of John Thompson Jr. And I think Patrick is trying to sort of, he's sort of brought a lot of what John Thompson Jr. kind of wanted the program to be and just the way he's sort of doing things. And there's a lot of that, but for whatever reason, he's not getting the kind of recruits I think people would have wanted going into year four. And so I've, I've made the comment like, you know, Etrick's over at George Mason. Like, you know, he's not interested in the program at all. I know because I've talked to him. 
but <laughs> it just it, it just seems like Patrick. It's just it's just crazy how they're such polar opposites. Um, and then yeah, the whole JT three part. The last two years, the teams they couldn't defend without fouling, and it drove you crazy because LJ Peak was their best player and simply could not stay on the court. Um, I was of the mind that I thought it was probably maybe easier to to fix that than go somewhere different, but that's an entirely different podcast. But um, but yeah, my appreciation for Etrick has has changed over this and his ability to recruit guys. I mean, they're still getting guys. You know, guys were going to the NBA. You know, um, even some guys that, that didn't work out. I mean, you know, a guy like Demetrius Hunter, like has Ewing had a guy like that yet? I mean, maybe in this next class. It just it just seems like there was still maybe it was an extension of John Thompson Jr. I don't know, but there's some things of Etrick that I think I'd like to see out of out of this this coaching staff. I think, first of all, I think Demetrius Hunter is probably still 20 years on <laughs> one of, if not the most exciting player I've watched at Georgetown. I'm really sorry I only got to see him for one season because yeah. um, he, he transferred after I got there. Um, one, actually, I want to push back a little bit on the Eshrick and Syracuse thing. One of my favorites since I think today one of the games on the delusional bracket was the 2013 Syracuse game. That's the one seed in one of the brackets, right? Yeah. Um, one yeah. of my favorite random stats or facts about Georgetown basketball. So that game in 2013, um, that was the second time in the regular season we had beat Syracuse so in 2013. Um, you know when the previous time we had swept the regular season against Syracuse was? I'm guessing it was under Eshrick. It was in 2002 under Eshrick. Yeah. 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 Which, which was, yeah, the Gerald which was, up I, Terrigan. do you know what it was before that game? I don't it was know. 19, 1988. That was the year that involved the Charles Smith game at the Carrier Dome. So we only beaten we only swept the season series against Syracuse three times in a quarter century. And now is that with one of them? Is that including if, if you have three games? No, I'm only counting the regular season. Um, okay. I'm, I'm trying to think in those three years. I don't know if in '88 we played him in the Big East tournament. I don't think we did. I know we didn't in 2002. 2013, of course, we did, and we didn't win that one, but. Um, it actually got me, I want to, to bring this back to the bracket for a second. I think as a number one seed, I know why it's a number one seed. I think the 2013 Syracuse game at home is overseeded. Okay, so I'm trying to I'm trying to keep up. So you think it's a delusional or this is the 2013, the the home finale, the 61-39 game. It's the number one seed in a in the delusional bracket. Okay. I think that game, I know why it's a number one seed. And I, I, I get it. I think it's overseeded. Okay. If um, okay. So this is my thing. When I hear people on TV say these things, and since I'm talking to you, I'm going to ask you: If it's underseeded, what should be seated above it? So I don't have the full bracket, so we, we don't know for sure. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, so, you can just you can just guess. Right. Well, I can kind of guess what I think some of the other other games are actually i think that honestly one of the two seeds that we've revealed so far in that bracket is the 2010 big east tournament quarterfinal i sort of think that one's a little overseeded too um you know the big east tournament final in 07 you could you could switch that up to a number one seed maybe here's my here's my logic for why you can tell me if you agree with me one of the things i would consider if i were making a bracket like this and seeding games like this is you know, what was the importance of that game? Like, what did it get us? What did it get us? Or what was the fallout from that game, right? Um, and there's no denying, look, we, we won a Big East. We shared. There was a, that was one of the other things. There was a three-way tie for the Big East 
that year. Yeah, but who, who um, was the one seed in the tournament? That's true. I mean, we were another one seed, <laughs> but if you're, you're talking about tiebreakers, right? Like, okay. Hey. But it's my, my, my problem with that game is, it, first of all, as, as an actual game, it's, it's a dud game. It was not an entertaining game. It was a boring, drudgy, Cuse capitulated like two minutes into the second half. But, hey, look, it's fun to blow out Syracuse. No argument there. In that um, moment, though, you feel like Georgetown's on their way to the Final Four, and they 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 got to you know wave bye to Syracuse on their way, you know, out the door. Of course, two weeks later, I was there as they cut down the nets. But okay, go on. This is where I'm going with this, right? It, it, <laughs> it's fine and dandy. Like somehow John Thompson doing the slashing thing at the end of that game isn't as cute six nights later when Syracuse beats us in the Big East tournament, and like three weeks after that when Syracuse cuts down the nets to go to the Final Four at Capital One after we got knocked out of the tournament by FGCU. Maybe in a world where FGCU doesn't exist, this game to me could be higher, but I, I can't look at that game anymore. And I've, I've watched clips of it on YouTube and stuff. I can't look at it anymore and not feel this like pang of sadness and regret. Like I, I think of this game, honestly, as like the last great game that we had at Capital One Arena. It was a, basically a sellout. I don't think any game since has gotten within four or 5,000 of that attendance. If you watch the game, you can see the stone walls in the background. Like, that's kind of, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. That was a thing once, too. Like, there's so much stuff that we feel like we lost, like, almost right afterwards. That, like, it's almost like you're watching, like, the pre-funeral of the program when you watch that game. I, so, I, I mean, there's I – will, I will defend this one uh, vigorously. I mean, I think you, <laughs> I think you made – I think you, you made a lot of the arguments for me here. So – I think in, in seeding these, it's kind of how did you feel the moment this game ended, whether it's a win or a loss. And in, in this case, this, I, 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 there, are, there are two dates of wins that I remember. One is January 21st, uh, 2006. The other is March 9th, 2013. And I, I, I don't know why those, those dates have remained in my head, but, I mean, that, that game against Syracuse, that was their last year in the Big East. I mean that's that's a season which we we started off the uh, conference play dreadfully. We were two and three, and then we went on that epic run that culminated in the last ever what we thought at the time was the last ever Big East game um, between Georgetown and Syracuse. You had Raftery announcing it. You actually had a Georgetown crowd. The athletic department did a really good job of, uh, or the ticketing office did a really good job of keeping lots of Syracuse fans out. I mean, it was incredible from start to finish. It was standing room only. And the fact that we not only beat them, but shellacked them. I mean, this, is, this, was, this was the most lopsided Georgetown win over Syracuse that, I've ever, that, I, that is reflected in these 15 years. Um, it's also the lowest point total by a Jim Beheim team ever, I think. And the fact that that was in the last game in that moment to also clinch the Big East title for us. Yeah, it was the regular season, um, but, you know, kind of gave us confidence going into the next brutal two weeks, as it turned out. But at that moment, I, I, don't, I don't know if I felt better about, about an outcome or just Can I add something else that maybe you guys missed? At that point, I believe Georgetown had not secured the commitment of Isaac Copeland. He, right, was which happened, he was at the game. That's right. Yeah, I know. So game. he was a five-star. At that point, everybody, you know, I think he's that's the last five-star Georgetown's brought in. Um, there was there was at least one huge, like, Isaac Copeland, 
whatever those those big heads that the students make. Um, the Patrick Ewing was sitting courtside, I know, because I interviewed him, seeing if he would say anything yep. interesting for an AP story. When you go, you know, I was there, I think, at 9 o'clock. Game day had set up over on the the, the corner, caddy corner, looking at the benches um, closer to the Syracuse bench. It was a crazy moment. And in, in that moment, and the, the students rushed the court, which Ben Standing and I almost got run over. I remember I grabbed my computer and it got really, really dicey for a minute. but. At that moment, it, it did seem like Georgetown was high, and I think that's what that's what John's saying is it almost seems like that's the last time they mattered. So for him, it just has too many negative connotations. But in that moment, it was incredible. And I, so yeah, I, I won't get, deny get what Howie's saying. Yeah, I won't deny in the moment that it's incredible. And I was I, I think that game. I'm almost positive that's the game that has the um, Georgetown's attendance record at cap one two that was 20,972 I think that's the one with the attendance record um okay as a crowd as a crowd I mean that was a full scope experience but I came down really early went to the game day thing before the game you know hung out after the game as well you know as a crowd for a game that's a it's a top five crowd probably um you know it's not it's not a top one crowd probably I don't know it's a top three crowd necessarily but it was a great experience yeah I just I, I can't get past everything that happened in the few weeks after that. Like, it just, I, I feel this weird, like, I feel these weird conflicting emotions about that game. So, Howie, yeah. I'm not sure which of your two seeds have been released. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I know. So I don't know if I want to suggest what seed I would possibly move it to. Um, if I had to switch a two and a one. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't know if we want to like spoiler alert or if we want to just hold. No, this. no, no, it's fine. I, I think everyone, most people can 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 guess the the ones and twos in most of these. But I mean, what I, I, I can the, tell you what the final one seed is. Um, I'm guessing your final one seed is the Vanderbilt game. Yeah. So I think the two seed for me that I would move up, and this is the problem with a lot of Georgetown's best wins is that they're just not exciting. And that's why they don't they don't make loops of um, old classic reels or whatever. But it's crazy to think that you know since 1989, even though they've been in a lot of Big East tournaments, particularly in the 90s, um, just that beatdown of Pitt was just like, look, this is the tournament Georgetown owned when it started. They're back, and if if you want to argue that they don't get there if they don't do what they do on Friday against Notre Dame. I wouldn't be adverse to that, but I think it's one of those games. But then all of a sudden, you know, you've got all these 2007 games, right? So I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah I, 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 I Sorry, I, I was going to say, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Like, your, your point is a solid one. Georgetown's won the Big East tournament exactly one time in the last 30 years. It's unbelievable. Um, it's, it's, it's insane. So, I mean, that, that's, that is a that is completely valid and an, and an argument that you know maybe we should put that on on the one seed, um, uh, but uh, you know at, at at the same time I think the other games that are there too were also very memorable. Oh no, I mean that that's why this is fun. So you can kind of you know argue about them. <laughs> I guess to be fair too, I'm, I'm you know I can't really realistically argue to make the you know the 2007 Big East tournament final a one seed because that was an even more boring game honestly than the Syracuse game in 2013 was but it matters so much it does I mean that's why I say that game really matters that's you know if that's your only Big East tournament win in 30 years 
and it's a nice stepping stone into the tournament, and it was not immediately undermined by subsequent events. I mean, that does make a difference, right? But, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to drop the, the Syracuse game down too far, but, yeah, it's, it's like I said, a lot of these games have personal stories and personal connections to them, and that's what's kind of fun about these, right? You'll, you'll argue over seeding, so it's really more arguing about what your favorite memories are. Right. Yeah, I, I think for, 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 for those reasons, I, I, I think the, anytime we have we sort of jump off a cliff with a loss, those are going to be the ones that get bumped up in our minds as some of the most devastating losses of all time. I mean, the, that was, you know, 2013 was such an up, the 2012-13 season was such an up and down season. And, you know, nothing reflects that more than that incredible win at home against Syracuse, followed by the loss to Syracuse at the Garden and the loss to Florida Gulf Coast the following week. Um, you know, and, and those losses are just magnified because of how good we felt on March 9th. Um, if we go to the cynical bracket, was there any, does, you know, does for, for both you guys, does, does the Davidson loss age like wine a little bit, (laughs) you know, like obviously in the moment being there, the fact that they were up almost 20 in the second half, like it makes it just more unbelievable. And that's a box score. I think I've memorized because it just doesn't make any sense. But, you know, when you look at Gulf Coast, you look at Ohio, um, VCU is different, too, because Georgetown didn't really have Chris Wright. He wasn't ready. But when you look back at Davidson and what Steph Curry's accomplished, it's sort of like, you know what, that just was bad seeding. You know, like, I mean, obviously, it's a terrible loss and, you know, a bunch of kids transferred for the next season, all that stuff. But was there any consideration to moving that down just because, you know, it's not like losing to Ohio? Uh no, uh, okay. because I, st- I still think in the grand scheme of look, I, I think any any tournament loss is is memorable because it, it ends your season and in many cases it ends the careers of certain players. Um, losing to a team you shouldn't lose to uh, is you know ranks there as some of the worst of the worst. I, I I agree with you that, and we'll have that argument later as we go through the you know in, in a couple of weeks once we see some of these closer matchups between some of the more highly ranked seeds. Yeah. But I, look, I, I still think the Georgetown Davidson game, the outcome was, was devastating on a number of levels. Uh, not only because you had, we were a two seed and we lost to a 10 seed in Raleigh, but, but because that was the last game for Hibbert Wallace Ewing. Uh, and we were up by 17 in the second half. I, know. I, I will say that for some ridiculous reason, uh, just a few days ago, I rewatched the second half of that game just wondering if it was as I remembered it. Um, it's been on. What I, yeah, big surprise. What's <laughs> he said, say? it's, it's been on. It's been on. Yes, it's been on. Uh, and it's on YouTube. I, I actually, my memory of the game was a lot worse than what actually occurred. I, I so I, I just remember Roy Hibbert being in foul trouble. We had a few players in foul trouble, throughout the throughout the game throughout the second half in particular and that Steph Curry just went off and and killed us in the second half it wasn't exactly like that um I mean we were up 17 we were up so many points that you know this is back when you didn't have four different um networks airing all the games at the same time so like CBS kicked our game off because looked like we were going to win oh really and and to be to be fair most of those 
JT3 teams that were up double digits rarely, if ever, lost just based on the way we played. There were probably yes. only, literally only, I think, three games in the JT3 era where we lost after being up by 15 or more points. I can so name the other stunning. one. I, I don't know. There, there's the Syracuse one from the 06 tournament, which is a disaster. We're up 15 at the half in that one. Yeah, and then and, the other one uh, at Xavier. At Xavier, yeah. I, so I don't know if it's only three, but um, yeah. I kind of just made that number up. But okay, but that's that's all I can remember too. Those are the three that that jump out. Um, but but anyway, like the, the in rewatching the second half, we played really good defense on Steph Curry. I, he, he was something like three for eighteen at one point in the game. Uh, he made an awful lot of free throws. That was the killer. He, you know, he, he really, he had an incredible sort of like little up and under move to the basket and, and he hit a nice step back three with, uh, on Jeremiah, uh, a Jeremiah rivers hand in his face. So it was actually pretty good defense. It was a hell of a shot, but I, I, I don't think the refs were particularly unfair to us. And I didn't think Curry went off on us. I just think we you know, we, we lost the game. Chris Wright played a lot more than I expected him to play in that one, considering he had just come back from an injury at the end of his freshman year. Our yeah. leading scorer at halftime was somehow Vernon Macklin. Uh, yep. and, and we missed some shots. Yeah. I haven't had the, the time to do it. And I'm, unfortunately, I think in these next couple of months, I'm going to get around to it. Um, how often has a one or a two seed lost before the final four when they shoot better than 60%. I mean, the list has to be that Georgetown Davidson. There can't be many instances of that happening. There just, there just can't. Um, and I think, I think uh, John and I talked about it on Twitter. You know, it's, it's the free throws and it's the turnovers um, is the way that you get what you did. And I always try and tell people, just like you said, people have this, have this memory that Steph Curry just went bananas he was five for 15 from three. Like you can kind of live with that. You know what I mean? Like he made one out of three from deep. Like that's not, you, you know, five threes now, like that's not, that's just, that's just, that's just not that big of a deal. Um, so it, it was, it was more than that. What was, uh, what's the uh, point guard's name? I can, I can picture him. I was, I was thinking that same thing as we were having this monologue because I was like, that, that, that point guard, Davidson point guard that year. Is it Lovedale? Incredibly influential. Lovedale, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, Steph Curry, Steph Curry came back the following season for his junior year, and Davidson was an NIT team, and it was largely because Lovedale graduated. Yeah, and I think, and, you know, Hibbert, Hibbert probably in all of basketball is the player that was hurt most by the, the shift in style of play, right? Like, he was an all-star a couple times. You know, LeBron, actually, like, they got Greg Oden – on the heat just to make sure when they faced the Pacers that they had somebody for Hibbert, um, you know, Hibbert not being able to his kid, you know, you, you know, 20 years ago, big guys were always at the end of the bench at the end of their career. That was kind of the way it went. That's not, it's not the case anymore, but um, I thought he was, I, I know you, I know um, how you said that the officiating seemed fair. I thought that as a senior, as a dominant all American type of guy, Hibbert got a couple over the backs that were just him being taller and I remember leaving. I remember leaving Raleigh thinking that there's no reason for a center to stay if they're going to get ref that way. That was my initial walking in my truck, all really like really upset 
was why did he come back? You know what? What a waste of his time. Um, maybe that was me just trying to console myself on my drive back to Arlington. But um, <laughs> those are kind of my uh, my uh, takeaways. Yeah. So for me, I think I said this on Twitter about a week ago. I think for me, the 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 tension between the FGCU game and the the Davidson game. And, and by the way, I'd be shocked. I'd be stunned if these two games weren't the two at the end of the in the finals of this bracket. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of a tension for me. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of, of shock versus anger. It's really the two emotions I think are most associated with those two games. Um, and I was, I was at both of them in person. Um, you know, after the Davidson game, the, the, I think the overwhelming feeling was just utter shock that if you didn't imagine that that kind of thing could happen to that team. Yeah. Um, you know, I knew people, I was, I was in, I was a year or two out of grad school at this point, but I knew people who were, you know, still involved, you know, as, as other people in Hoya Blue or fans of the program who had like deliberately were not going to the Raleigh pod because they were saving up to go to the Detroit regional after Georgetown got, obviously would get to the Sweet 16. Um, there was that sort of level, almost of assumption that this team was somehow like destined for something, right? With all the seniors or the culmination of the four-year cycle of JT3 players, and it was really stunning. Like, I mean, I have a very vivid memory. So I, my seats for that game were in the upper deck of the RBC Center, and it was actually on folding chairs. I ended up somehow in the, um, like, the handicap accessible part. So I had a front row seat in front of, like, these hockey, set of hockey glass. And so I couldn't see, like, any of the fans in the upper deck around me. But this weird feeling of being, like, enveloped by the sound of the crowd kind of building and building and building. And I walked out of the arena, and ours was the first game of the doubleheader. I walked out of the arena. I went to my car in the parking lot. When I got to my car, I just stood there for a second, and it occurred to me, this is the only person I could see in this entire parking lot. And all I could hear was just birds chirping in the parking lot. It was so quiet out there after having just been inside that arena. Of course, nobody was going to leave, right? Everybody was there for the North Carolina game after that, and all the Davidson fans had stayed. But it was just so surreal being in I that game in that moment. Yeah. But I was at the FGCU game also sitting roughly in the front row of an upper deck. And I will tell you the group of just, there's a long story of the circumstances for why, you know, a whole bunch of young alums were sitting together in that particular section, but I have never heard such vitriol and just out and out anger directed at like, not just the team, but just the entire institution itself um, over two hours and at that game. And I have sat through all the games at the end of the JP three era. And since then, it was anger unlike you could even imagine. And you know, I kind of resisted the idea for a few years, but I really do feel like that basically on that night, like the, the JT3 era was, was gone. It took four years, but it was just, it was so gone at that point. Really? I, re- I honestly believe that, that just nobody was ever going to truly be on board again after that. It was just such a last straw. Like I said, I, I, I resisted it. For, for a few years coming back around to this, but I honestly feel like so many people just gave up at that point because you've been burned so many times. You've been burned in 2000, you know, the shock of 2008, you know, 2010 and 2011, those blowouts in the tournament, you know, 2012 was a likable team, but they still didn't get to the, the second weekend. And you thought, okay, maybe they finally righted the ship. You know, the Big East regular season champions, lots of great games, a great player in auto quarter. It felt like a team, hey, they can go some places. And to have that rug pulled out from people, man, I, I got to tell you, it was unlike, 
the only other game I can compare it to was the last game of JC3's tenure at, against Villanova at home. Uh, it was it was something else. I don't. So I, I don't think I don't, I don't think anything you're saying is is controversial there. I, I think that's I think that's right. I think that marked a turning point in JT3's trajectory. Um, you know, because you could almost you could sort of it, it had been five years of this, right? It had been you know the loss to David Sign. It was Steph Curry. Uh, 2009, you know, we didn't even make the tournament, you know, so so we didn't have the opportunity to flame out early, even though we lost the first round of, of the NIT. Uh, 2010 didn't make any sense at all, losing to Ohio. 2011, we lost to VCU. 2012, we lost to NC State. It, it, 2013, I think, cemented what everyone else in the country was already saying, that, you know, we were sort of chokers in the postseason. But you know, those of us who were holding strong just didn't want to believe. And that kind of caused people to kind of start looking the other way a bit and, and questioning whether the system was, was really hindering us. I'm not one of those people who was calling for JD3's head. Truth be told, I was not one of those people calling for JD3's head when everyone else was, when we when the decision was finally made to move on, because I enjoyed the fact that we were, uh, you know, winning for virtually every season during the regular season under JT3's tenure. And I knew what it was like in, in years before JT3. Um, that said, I'll just, I'll quibble with one thing you said, uh, which is, you know, you'd be hard pressed to believe that we won't end up with the sort of Davidson versus Florida Gulf coast at the end. Uh, spoiler alert for tomorrow morning, but we're, we're going to reveal the, the Armand Bassett region. And that <laughs> 2010 loss to Ohio uh, is I think not only worthy of a one seed, but in my mind that was that was a worse loss than than the Davidson one. That 2010 team was really good. Uh, Greg Monroe, Austin Freeman, Chris Wright. Uh, we had a lot of firepower, and we just we laid an egg. And it wasn't to it wasn't to Steph Curry. It wasn't because Chris Wright had a broken hand. Um, there, there wasn't any, you know, chemistry issue between Sapp and Wright. We just laid an egg to a team that wasn't good. And it's, you know, I, you know, what is it? The only, is that potentially the only game in which we were upset that the team did not move on to do things in the tournament, at least make the sweet 16. Ohio wasn't good. So, yeah, I get I gotta say, it's probably a really good thing in retrospect that the uh, the casual Hoy interview with Julian Vaughn did not happen until after JT3 had been fired. <laughs> Man, so like, that's of course the one where Julian or Vaughn revealed that when they were doing the walkthrough of Ohio's offense the day before the game in practice, the, the scout team or the backups kept scoring on the first team defense and they were really confused and had no idea how to handle this. And eventually JT3 just threw his hands up and said, ah, F it. And they went home. And I, I honestly, like having been at that game, we all saw that game. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you guys are doing a good job. I want to go back of talking without me, which is probably best for everybody. But if I could just go back real quick to 2013 Gulf Coast, and then I'll I'll, I'll jump in to where you guys are at. Um, and I guess I'm going to come off like a JT3 apologist, which I think a lot of people peg me for anyway. But I think when you look at the Gulf Coast game, obviously matchup of styles, but after they had lost Greg Winnington, the regular season run they went on doesn't make any sense. And what they accomplished with what little they had 
I think makes, and obviously no one wants to get dunked on and, you know, be the butt of jokes forever and all that stuff. But I think you look back and, you know, Otto and JT3 got the Big East player and coach of the year. I think they're national coach and player of the year as well. Like that team with that roster is a two seed. I mean, yeah. I, I just, you know what wrong. I mean? Like, I know that it's awful and no one likes it. And, you know, we're talking about it because we have nothing to talk about and it's, it's interesting. But, and then they bring back like everybody. Obviously, Winnington gets hurt and then he does something stupid in Puerto Rico. Um, but the, they brought back like everybody. Um, and, you know, they don't even make the tournament, probably because Jabril gets hurt. They almost make the tournament. They have some good wins. If they don't lose to DePaul in the Big East tournament, they probably get in. They're one of the last teams out. But they went from being a two seed to a marginal team making the tournament because of one guy, Otto Porter, and he left. So I think the Ohio loss is worse. But when we get to that, I think that if you look back at the 2010 season of results, and there's a lot of really good results. There's a lot of bad ones, too. You know, Howie, they lost at Rutgers, which I know your family is very familiar with. Um, they had a stretch where they lost four out of five. And if they don't win at Louisville, they have a five-game losing streak. And we saw glimpses, I think it was in the Notre Dame game and the West Virginia game, that this is a team that can give up points for as good as they are. And I believe this is the season where Austin came down with, you know, he was he had diabetes. Um, so the fact that they could go out there and just give up a lot of points, I think we saw we saw a little bit of that coming. It was absolutely yeah, consistent I, with that I, team's I, personality. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I I think you're right about both of those things. And look, I, I'm I've always been a JT3 apologist too, and uh, was sad, really sad to see him go when he was pushed out, but. I think you're you're right there, you know, and there were often you would often see this sort of overcorrection through, during a number of those JT three years where, you know, our defense was really really solid in you know 2006, 2007, 2008, uh, and we gave up a lot of points after Hibbert, Ewing, uh, Macklin all left, uh, and then he would try to bring in a, you know different types of guys to to account for that. Um, we went through years also, you know, towards the end of his tenure where rebounding was a significant problem and he would try to kind of overcompensate for that a bit. Um, so it, I mean, you're right to say that the defense wasn't always solid in, in the JT three years, uh, especially in the last few and especially after the rules changes. Yeah. They just, they just didn't recover. Um, do you guys feel like we've talked about this bracket a lot or enough now that we could, dive into the only actual George and we're going to come back to the bracket. This is, this is a big undertaking that Howie put on and there's a lot more to talk as the results keep coming in. We see what's happening, but Georgetown did what they had to do. They picked up a grad transfer point guard. We all knew they needed one. They got one Jalen Harris from New Mexico and Arkansas. So it'll be his third stop, much like Terrell Allen. Um, what are your what are you guys' initial thoughts on this? He did he he started two years ago, and then last year a new coach came in. He did he didn't play as much. Somebody want to go first? Yeah, I mean, you know, not that I'm you know a huge follower of of, of recruiting even on the transfer market or certain, yeah. you know, SEC's not one of the companies that I follow the most, but I, mean, I think the best way somebody I've seen put it 
um, online about about Harris coming in is he's going to be he's probably going to play the role of the just the bridge point guard, right? The guy who bridges you from you know kind of an interim season, and I mean, you know, barring any kind of major development, it's hard for me to envision this coming season if one exists being anything except for kind of a placeholder season as the team tries to rebuild. So the, the way I've seen Harris described it, somebody who's going to play the role of kind of the bridge from, you know, one side of a rebuilding process to another. And the idea is, you know, I, I don't think, you know, the idea, you don't need somebody to come in necessarily for the type of team that is probably going to be next season to be a big scoring guy like Rodney Pryor or somebody who's going to have a lot of offense run through them like Omer Yurt seven, right? You probably need somebody more in the vein of a Terrell Allen. Not that I think, you know, Harris is going to rise to the you know, level of a Terrell Allen or anything, but just somebody with experience, with competence, you know, who makes smart basketball plays and can help lead a team kind of competently as they kind of rebuild themselves. And hopefully that gives you enough time to see, you know, does your other, does the other Harris, the freshman point guard Harris, amount to anything of a Big East caliber? Does recruiting for 2021 yield a, a high quality point guard that can come in right away and start. Um, that's, I guess, the best way I've seen it described. It. It's a useful role to play, honestly. Yeah, I, I think the, the way to look at this with rose-colored glasses is is to make three points. One is he's he's a veteran who's played in the SEC, and hopefully he will serve as that bridge to some of our younger guys, and, and we desperately need point guard leadership now that Terrell Allen is leaving and we don't have a Kinjo anymore. The second thing is he's fast as hell, uh, in shape, and, and is used to going up and down in, in his previous offensive system, so he'll fit right in. And the third and maybe most important thing is he is more of a passer than a shooter. Uh, he's a facilitator. So we're not going to have any issues uh, you know, trying to compete. Uh, he's not going to have any issues trying to compete for shots with, with Mac and some of our other and, – and Blair and some of our other guards. So that's a positive. On the other hand, I mean, look, this this guy didn't start last year. He averaged, what, four points and two rebounds a game. Uh, and people are praising him that his three-point stroke went up to 27% last year because the year before it was 11%. So, And he's not known as a real defensive player. So the idea that we'd bring on someone who's not a great perimeter defender on a team that ranked – worst among major power conference teams in perimeter defense and has ranked worst in the last few years. And also someone who, who can't shoot all of that seems a bit of a stretch to me, but look, if he can facilitate, provide veteran leadership, maybe we'll get lucky. Yeah. I mean, a couple things obviously stick out real fast. His 5.6 assists per game two years ago under Mike Anderson, that's a pretty big number. Um, to put it in Georgetown terms, it's better than what Akinjo did his freshman year when he led the conference in total assists. Um, it's about at Kevin Braswell's average, who's the all-time leader. Um, I'm just throwing that out there as, you know, just what, is, what does this assist number kind of translate to what Georgetown usually puts out? And, you know, a lot of Georgetown assist numbers are skewed for a long time because of the way that they played. But you can't really overlook that th- those kind of assists. and you know, I, th- I think obviously we know Ewing likes to get up and down. Um, I don't know about his defense. Howie just kind of made me upset, or not upset, but sad to hear that he's not known as a defender. I was kind of hoping someone that shoots 11% from the 
from three during a season does so because they're a great defender and you know they've kind of got like a jeremiah rivers um issue with the uh, shooting i actually looked up jonathan mulmore's three-point shooting stats and they're really good because he didn't shoot a whole lot um i'm sure you guys can picture his stroke right now if i if i told you to close your eyes you could probably picture jonathan <laughs> mulmore um because i was i was like oh that you know this has to be like you know like the lowest percentage anyone's had since Mulmore and I want to apologize to Jonathan he actually shot a pretty good percentage he just didn't shoot a whole lot so I don't know uh, you know when 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 John just talked about how how next season I think we've all assuming there is a season I really hope there is one um if college basketball is played in the 2021 season Georgetown's not expected to do much so part of me says well you know why do you need grad transfers? Why, you know, if you're not going to do anything anyway, don't you just sort of, you you know, do you want to just throw Beard and the other Harris out there? And look, we're going to need you in two years because year five is probably going to be, I would think everyone around is going to, you know, year five, hey, you're going to make the tournament. That's going to be a really big deal. So, but at the same time, you don't want to go out there and bottom out. So I, I get you do need to get some 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 veteran players but have you guys given any thought to that idea of if you're going to be bad why not be bad young um you know i guess <laughs> i don't know if, i don't know if you know several you know what are we now five years since an ncaa tournament appearance i don't know if you have the luxury of being bad for the sake of being bad right now okay. you know what i mean yeah I, yeah i I think that's right. And there'll be another opportunity to talk about kind of the prospects for next season. But I think in the last 15 years, there's been only one season I can remember where we had no realistic chance to go to the tournament. And that was Patrick Ewing's first year where there was still excitement to see what the new system would be like. But um, we didn't have a particularly strong roster that year. And our scheduling was so atrocious that even if we did really well in, in in conference play it was going to be a long shot for us to make the tournament I kind of even without seeing the schedule for next year this is kind of how I feel heading into next season I, I think we're going to be preseason eighth or ninth and if we make the tournament that'll be very surprising uh, and I know the Big East is lo- losing a lot of seniors a lot of veterans and so you know maybe we'll have more of an opportunity to sneak up on some teams but I- I'm not I don't like the fact that I'm not optimistic heading into next year. And I feel like I am usually optimistic heading into most seasons. And then I'm disappointed. (laughs) Something I noticed in my very short stay up in New York, which I'm glad I was only there for about a day. Georgetown has never been the 11 seed in a big East tournament. Next year, there will be an 11 seed in the Big East tournament. Even as well, a 13, how do you want to feel about that? <laughs> even as a 13 seed, they actually ended up winning a couple games, I I think. I think that's the year where Billet beat them like at the buzzer. Uh, yeah, they were they were a 13 yeah, that, seed. That was... They beat uh they beat John's Miami Hurricanes and then they lost to Rutgers 61-60. Yeah, that was 1998. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, wow, they've never been an 11 seed. Oh, wait, that's a possibility next year. I mean, are you, are you rooting to be the 11 seed? Just so we no, can have I an just... epic march through the Big East tournament and win it all? Um, 
You know what? If you told me right now they're the 11 seed, but they win two games in the biggest tournament, I would take that. No, you wouldn't. That sounds I, horrible. <laughs> are you kidding? Are you kidding? They've never they've never gone back to back seasons without winning a Big East tournament game till this current run, and now they're on they're on four. Right? Yeah. Before that, Jake, they'd Jake never, and, yeah, yeah Jagan never won his his career never winning a Big East tournament game. And here's another fun fact for you: the Chris Wright slash Jagan Mosley Heart of a Champion Award awarded to Wright and Mosley, obviously. How many postseason games did they win? NIT or NCAA tournament? How many postseason games total did they win? Who? Wright and Jagan combined. For Big East tournament and? Not Big East. Not Big East. Just uh, NCAA tournament, NIT. Um, so Wright was on the winning end of a UMBC win his first year. Um, that's, that's it. Ding, yeah. Ding, ding. Come on. Yeah, that was that was eight, nine, nothing, ten, Ohio. Oh, yeah, I mean we lost in the first round of the NIT to Baylor. But how many big regular season wins were there? There was a lot. There were a lot of regular season wins, and he got to a Big East tournament final twice. That's true. But you're telling me if they're the 11 seed, let's say like 11 through 9 is separated by like a game that's tiebreakers or whatever, and they get to win two games up there, they win two games. So there's going to be that if you win two games, you're playing Friday night. I would totally take that. Are you kidding? Bobby, are you are you turning into a Hoya talk poster before our eyes here? What is going on here? Well, you, you said they're going to be like ninth place anyway. So if you're if you're if you're putting on the table, they're going to finish 11th and there's some tiebreakers. They're tied with DePaul and St. John's, and they end up being 11. I, I don't know when the last time either of you guys went to New York for the Big East tournament was, but it's becoming a really sad trip. So I guess I'm just valuing going to New York longer than 24 hours when I'm, when I, when I'm saying I could handle them being the 11 in a season that we already know is going to be lost, but they make Friday night the Big East tournament? I'll take that. I mean, I'm perfectly happy, you know, Perfectly happy going to the Big East tournament on the night the world changed and watching us lose the St. John's on COVID-19 night and then going to a Hooters and going home on New Jersey transit and then finding out that I'm never leaving my house again. That's going to go down as one of the more memorable losses. John, that is a real big insult that I'm turning into a Hoya Talk poster before your eyes on this live pod. I mean... Does my does, that is, that is can, the most Hoya talk? We'll be eleventh place, so we'll make like two wins in the Big East tournament, and everything will be hunky dory. That is the most Hoya talk argument. It's not hunky dory. This is me personally. I would like to go to New York longer than twenty four hours. You know, it's the city that never sleeps, Bobby. Like, there's lots of stuff to do in New York if you want to stay an extra night. No, I usually take the train home at five in the morning. It's the saddest ride ever. And I get to Union actually, Station. This actually reminds me of like a semi-related story since we were talking about the Ohio game before. I'm talking about going home after games. So I was in Providence for the Ohio game in 2010, and I stayed um, for the game after that for the Tennessee-San Diego State game. And I actually sat in the row right behind Tennessee's bench. I was actually sitting with, with Pam Shavakin, who went to Tennessee. Um, randomly, I met Bruce Pearl's mom after that game, too. Um, 
But I think Rick <laughs> Savakin was traveling with the team um, on the team plane. And that, <laughs> after they lost to Ohio, I think Rich texted Pam because I was sitting next to her at the game. I think that plane was on the runway and wheels up. Like it felt like before, like definitely before 10 minutes were gone in the first half of the, the next game and maybe even before like the second media timeout. They got the heck out of Dodge. I wish I had been on that plane because I waited till the morning. to. I, I drove to Providence. Yeah. I, oh, no, I, actually, I remember your story. You and I have almost the exact same story of how we got there. I, I, I was working nights at that point. I got off a night shift at like 4 a.m. had somebody cover for me. I came home, slept for like two or three hours, and I drove solo up to Providence. Yeah, it was uh, – why do we do this to ourselves, Bob? I drove solo up there as well, and on the way home, I actually took the long way because at the time the office was a really big show and I was, I don't know, sort of depressed. And so I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go through Scranton on my way home. And I went to the, <laughs> I, I went to the bar. You know, they go to um, Poor Richard's. And it's in a bowling alley. Like, it totally sucks. Okay? Yeah. Like, I was hoping for some sort of, like, you know, just therapeutic, you know, this this, this team did it again to me. Let's just try and, you know, let's just try and live our best life this day. And I got there, and it was, it, I was, it was, it wasn't great. <laughs> I actually saw... I saw the Ali Farouk-Manesh game in a Chevy on the way home from uh, from Providence. So that's that's my story from that. <laughs> well, guys. Um, I'm sorry. Did, did you say you're rooting for us to be an 11 seed next year? What is wrong with you? I told you. I went Hoya talk. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's with the stipulation that they, they, they play Friday night at the Big East tournament. And anything could happen. Actually, I will say I am very much here to be like a, a casual observer for like the 24 hour period of like Georgetown fans online. If this comes to pass, like leading into 11 seed after whatever 11 seed season looks like after the entirety of that, I'm here for the 24 hour period. As we talk ourselves into what could possibly happen on a Friday night at the Big East tournament. I mean, look, I haven't put a lot of thought into this. I know it's going to be, it, you know, it's going to be, it's probably playing the two seed. It's probably going to be like, you know, Mark, you get like Zagorowski list or whatever, Creighton. We're going to convince ourselves, oh, they're kind of soft if they don't hit the three pointers. <laughs> we're going to be down 25 after the eight minute mark. I mean, look, what do you guys think is a realistic finish for next year? It's not like they're, it's, it's, look, it's not like Georgetown's going to come out predicted third and you've got Bobby over here being like, oh, I'm cool with them being the 11. Like, it's a team that's going to be preseason poll. They're going to be nine, nine or 10 or 11, right? I mean, I, this is like right within like their plus or minus, like, you know, a place and a half is going to be 11. So I'm saying they, they are the 11 with like, you know, let's say they go out in that tournament, they upset UVA, they beat them like 52 to 51. Um, you know, they do some stuff and then they finish 11. They win two. They haven't won two games in the biggest tournament in like, how long has that been? When 10 years, 2010. Right, that's the last time they yeah. won consecutive games in any tournament. If you if you count the Big East tournament as being you know a postseason event, um, so I think that's a pretty it's a pretty reasonable thought to be like, hey, you know what? Because the best part about playing Friday at the Garden is it's at night, so you've got all day to do stuff. Like the last time they played was 2015, right? When they they got down by a million to Xavier, and then they almost came back, but they didn't. Um, it was a pretty fun I had day. That, I had. I had that as an undefeated game, by the way. 
So you guys are very are very anti the eleven seed. <laughs> yes, I, I I don't know if I need to explain this to you, Bobby, but generally the <laughs> idea of sporting events is to win. Yeah, and in this in this case, I don't think there's any better chance of them getting a shot to go to the Big East tournament final than to have guaranteed your place on Friday, which is what my hypothetical bullshit situation has them doing. They're 40 minutes away so, from playing for it all. So, so and my question is, since you're clearly on some kind of club drugs here with this <laughs> scenario, um, why, why didn't you just say they make the final? Because that just that. seems really I'll go to that game. I'll, I'll go to that game. So, because by the way, that game is also at night, and you've got the whole day to hang out in New York City. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just you know, it's a, it's it's a it's a very modest scenario. But so basically, you're the 11 seed. You play 16. What's that? Providence. You beat Providence, and then you have the three seed waiting for you, which is I don't know. But I, I just think it. <laughs> I guess I just want them to win in New York so bad that I'm willing to sacrifice the entire regular season. I, let me just getting back getting back to you want them to win in New York so bad. So just just getting back to that memorable win at the Garden we had during the regular season, the big comeback from double digits down, winning dramatically at the end. Just, just to put a just to put a finishing touch on uh, how depressing things are. I don't know if you listened to the Jagan Mosley interview that was up I yesterday, but question. So so well, one fun fact he said that he found out he was going to be in the slam dunk tournament because of something Bobby Bancroft said. Wait, what? So he, he, he called you out and said that you tweeted something saying he was in the slam dunk competition before it was called off. And he had never, it was the first he heard of it. Um. Um, but <laughs> the, 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 the other, the other thing, uh, you're more prominent than you think. The other thing is um, when asked the question, you know, what is your most memorable basketball moment? And I'm thinking to myself, it's got to be like that that Butler game or even the senior day coming oh so close or the game at St. John's, uh, you know, or when we were decent Jagan's freshman year. I I think his response I think I know was, where this is going. Yeah, winning the state championship in New Jersey during his senior year of high school. So yeah, my point is, if if we end up with another player whose response to that question what is your favorite basketball memory is something he did in high school. It really, it tells you how far we've fallen in the last five years. And this goes to what I'm saying is if you can guarantee they're going to win two big East tournament games right now for Georgetown, that is a big effing deal. That's where they are. Geiger's going to put up a poll and you're going to lose this one. 97 to three. (laughs) But okay. You guys haven't. Okay. So, I've put out there this crazy thing that no one seems to like. Where do you think they're going to finish next year? Like, I don't think 11th is that far off from where they're going to be predicted like ninth at best, right? So, yep. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying something, I'm I'm not putting them in a position that they're not close to already. Yeah, so I, I would I would say I would rather have some unexpected wins in November and December and get off to a good start in Big East play 
and like have a little bit of, we haven't felt optimism in, forget about February or March. We haven't felt optimism in January since, I don't know, 2015. So it would just be nice to feel good going to a, like a meaningful Big East regular season game in, you know, in, in, in mid-January. Like that the season isn't over by the time it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That would that would be nice. I would actually take that over two, you know, two wins in the biggest tournament. Yeah, I mean, I get I get what I'm saying. I guess it's still fresh in my mind of like I mean, and look, I feel terrible for Jagan. Like as that was all, and obviously, you know, Alan gave it all for one year, but he had some. He you know he had like if someone asked him that same question, he's gonna say you know, winning in the NSA tournament, like going toe to toe with Zion. Right. But for Jagan, like that was it. Like, and unfortunately I, I've gotten a chance to obviously interview him enough that, you know, he takes the Syracuse series pretty seriously and he went two and two against them. Right. Um, yeah. So I, w- I would have liked to have heard him say that just from, <laughs> just from a standpoint of, you know, the college years were, you know there were some good times, but uh, he talked about the Syracuse talked about the Syracuse game too, and said it was a meaningful win. Especially like this was what two days after Galen Alexander and Myron Gardner left the program, and and obviously Kinjo and LeBlanc were already gone. So I mean he talked about that being a fun game also. But that was uh, that was so Georgetown did a good job this year of media availabilities, something they hadn't the last couple of years, and we had some pretty good access to to the players that they would select to bring out but we got Jagan a lot and looking back I remember the wording of everybody between Ewing and Jagan being like as far as we know this is our team you're like why are you guys saying it this way um and that so the media availability was before Alexander and Gardner decided to leave because I think that happened on Friday didn't it I think that happened on Friday the game was on Saturday um but when we talked to them it was you know after obviously Josh and James were gone, but Mosley spoke, you know, r- really, he was, he really, he really wanted, he said, look, I know they're not in the Big East, but this is Georgetown Syracuse. This is a big deal. I want to finish at least two and two. Maybe we'll play them again. You know, at that point you're thinking NCAA tournament or whatever. Um, so would have liked that have been to his basketball memory, but obviously St. Anthony's was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So guys, this was a really fun podcast. Even if I'm, even if I'm getting made fun of here with my with my uh, Big East tournament run that I have proposed, but uh, we're gonna have to get together more often, particularly as these brackets come out. I thought it was a really good podcast. It's our longest podcast because Uber Conference is letting everything go as long as they want. Um, you guys are both on Twitter, right? John Hawks is at yep. Florida Hoya, and Howie, you are not on Twitter. That's what I thought. That's why I didn't say. But Good you are you. New York. Good you are New you. York Hoya on Casual Hoya, and you do a great job there. Um, this is another very successful episode of Kente Corner. I am Bobby Bancroft, and we are out of here. <laughs>